0: This is David Ray again with the third of the Vista podcasts, And this one's really interesting for me and kind of exciting for me because the first two have been about external entrepreneurs. Um, so the first one was purely external, so somebody who's started a company from scratch. Second one, Richard Browning, was really interesting because it was an internal, uh, an ex-colleague of ours who'd then taken a company, taken an idea, and gone and externally created a company. The third, and this one here, I'm really interested in because it's an element of all the above. So it's somebody who I've worked with for a few years in the past. Somebody who's worked in BP for a while, but somebody who's actually taking an intrapreneur role to use the language um, and creating and trying to found a company within the context of BP and within the context of Launchpad. I'm very pleased to introduce Tashina Shams. As I mentioned, you and I worked together for a couple of years. For those who don't know you as well, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what got you to this point. And then we'll move into a little bit more about the specific of the idea you've got yourself
1: so i was raised and brought up in a small town in pakistan and this is the late 1990s and you know at the time the good professions quote unquote for girls were considered as you could be a teacher or you could be a doctor so i remember going to my dad and saying i don't want to do any of those and he said okay what do you want to do and having no idea of what i wanted to do i said I don't know, but I'll do what you did. And he said, I did engineering. And I said, fine, I'll do that. (laughs) So that's how I got into engineering. And that's how I got into computer science. So I did uh, computer engineering. I studied that at university. At the end of that, I got into Schlumberger and sort of the, the big world of uh, energy and oil and gas. And I, I I worked as a data engineer for the first couple of years. So very hands-on experience in terms of fields and rigs and facilities. And then I started moving towards technical leadership roles around production operations and production uh, surveillance. So really interesting and cool stuff. And for those of us who have worked in the fields and the facilities part of the oil and gas, we know that it's a very mobile job and you get to see a lot of cultures and you get to travel a lot. So I did all of that for seven years. And then I, I wanted to do something different. So I took a sabbatical and, and did a degree in business management and then decided not to go back to Schlumberger and do something different. So I did a couple of years with Aniston Young here in London and I did some digital strategy consulting. them but that was a really good sort of three years of exposure to a number of organizations to a number of teams and and working environments and then this role came up at bp which was back in 2012 they wanted to bring in someone who would come into their exploration function and build the data management practice there i've been in bp for seven years now and i can tell you i've had six roles in the last seven years. <laughs> so it's been a lot more dynamic than I would have thought, but it's been great. And this year I have been working at Launchpad on this business idea that uh, I'm sure we will talk about.
0: So for those who don't know, Launchpad is the BPR I'm looking to basically to create unicorns, so to create billion dollar businesses, internalize those, incubate them, and either maximize the commercial value internally or to spin out externally to create different commercial revenue streams. But one of the things they did was create an internal competition. So they were looking for internal ideas and um, individuals to take their ideas and become a founder within the context of BP, within the context of Launchpad. And I can't remember what the numbers were, but there was a huge number of applicants and you you got down to the final five and you're through in this process, which is a fantastic achievement in itself. But maybe tell us a little bit about what is the pitch? What is the idea? And yep. two, what was your experience like going through that?
1: So it was really literally day two back from maternity leave for me um, when I saw this uh, Launchpad competition. And what I've seen in BP over the last, I would say, six to seven months is this huge sort of push for us to think outside the box, to be creative. And it's it, there is no better time really to, to bring your ideas out there. Basically what my idea is, I am on a mission to enable an injury-free workplace. My dad was a plant manager in the sugar industry and uh, he once had a very serious fall in an area of the plant where help couldn't get to him until a couple of hours. And we were very lucky that he survived but it was a long and painful journey of recovery for all of us as a family. And uh, now the technology has gotten to a point where in real time you can get help to people, in real time you can predict and prevent health and safety incidents, and that's basically what my startup is about. So using smart watches and machine learning, I want to be able to collate biometrics data on frontline workers and combine that with other data sets to alert frontline workers in real time of risks and hazards so it could be david you are too fatigued today and shouldn't be handling heavy machinery so you need to go and you know do a detailed risk assessment with your medic or tashina you are in an area of the plant where lifting operations are happening today and make sure you never walk under suspended load so really contextual real time alerts around risks and hazards that could keep people out of harm's way you know there there is no amount of value that you can put to a human life Now, that's invaluable. Um, However, there is a business side to this. So when a health and safety incident happens, it costs money. You know, a a routine health and safety incident can cost us anywhere between half a million dollars to $20 million. And these are not like the exceptional incidents like the Piper Alpha or the Deepwater Horizons. This is somebody breaking their leg on a rig on one extreme or, you know, someone unfortunately losing their life because of, you know, a lifting operation. Or you know something bad happening, where you have to close the rig, you lose production. There is months and months of investigation costs. So, uh, you know th- these costs can range anywhere between half a million to twenty million dollars. So the value case is clear. Even if we can you know reduce incidents by ten percent, this this technology would pay for itself.
0: I loved how you describe it. It wasn't I'm building an app. It's a I'm going to change the world through creating an injury-free workplace. I think is a hell of a way to hold it and the right way to hold it. So I'm curious also then about what's the process been like then? So you you had this idea, you Mm -hmm. pitched, you were successful. Now what What was an average day of the life if there is such a thing for you just now?
1: (laughs) Sure. You know, in, in, in Launchpad terms, the process is if you enter with an idea, you enter what they call module A. Um, and module A is a three-month rigorous process with the sole purpose of finding a problem-solution fit for your for your idea. And the objective there was to, one, proof that this is a real problem that you're solving. There is a solution that exists for um, this problem, and there's a market out there that would pay for this solution. Because obviously, at the end of the day, yes, there is a strong human purpose to this startup, but it also needs to have commercial sense and it needs to make business sense so I did all of that over the past three to four months and all of that effort culminated in another pitch to the launchpad panel, which included sort of operating partners of the launchpad. It included people from our BP Ventures organization and other parts of the business. And I'm happy to share that I've made it to the next round. So two of the five startups or sort of idea companies um, got into what we now call Module B. So Module B is now sort of a six-month process where the rubber hits the road. We're actually going to start building building the product, build an MVP, trial it with a potential customer. And I think it's important to state work on our riskiest parts of the business. At the end of these six months, we then do a pitch again into, uh, into the launchpad panel. And now the decision point would be, what's the right path to value for this business? So, if it's something that is considered to have unicorn potential, so something that can generate in excess of $250 million of revenue annually in the next three to five years, and Launchpad is considered as the right investor for this, you then get into Launchpad as a Launchpad resident. If we feel it has potential, but not yet, unicorn potential, then there are different other parts to value. So, BP Ventures can uh, can invest in it uh, and become a sort of a minority partner in this. It could be that it spins out of BP and, you know, we get external investors to invest in it. So, there are a lot of routes that this can take once we get to the process of building an MVP and getting feedback from real
0: customers. That's fantastic. Well done on that. So, is this kind of, Tashina's idea, it's your IP, Is it BPs? How does all that bit work?
1: So uh, the the ownership of this uh, business still sits within BP. Launchpad becomes the majority um, stakeholder uh, into the business if this goes into a Launchpad resident. However, the founder does get a stake. It is a small stake compared to the majority stake that BP will get. But sort of the view is, would you rather hold one to three percent in a billion dollar Proposition or a billion-dollar business versus a fifty percent into a ten million uh, proposition. It is early days for Launchpad as well, and you know I'm sure as we move along things would evolve. Um, but that's sort of how I'm holding it in my head at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And as you said, the maths are pretty good, actually, aren't they? I know which of those two options I would take on the two options you gave. over percentages. We're clearly in a period of massive change around us. With all these unknowns around us, whether it's ways of working, whether it's office structure, whether it's personal impact of this lockdown, how do you see this impacting on creating a new way of working, a new culture, a new environment?
1: So you may have heard in the news around what's happening with potatoes in the US. Potatoes are one of the most attractive vegetables in the, sort of in the restaurant uh, business, and they have two clear supply chains to supply potatoes from the farms um, to where it's needed. They have a supply chain that is optimized um, and focused around getting the potatoes from the farm to the grocery stores. And then you have another supply chain that is optimized and focused on getting the potatoes from the farms to the food chains and the restaurants. And obviously, because of the pandemic, this other supply chain where the demand existed in the food chains and the restaurants, it it went to zero in a matter of days. So what happened was you had millions of uh, potatoes that were left to rot in the sun because there was no demand for those. However, on the other side, you had thousands of people in lines outside food banks or outside grocery stores wanting to get their hands on vegetables and and potatoes and, and things like that. And you think, well, you know, if there was a way to to shift that supply chain into the other sort of pipe, we could have made a lot of use of, uh, of all of these vegetables that just went waste. I think this pandemic is really pushing us to rethink how we can tailor our processes to be more resilient to change. I think there was a time where everybody was thinking about how do we digitize our processes and how can we automate our processes to be more efficient. We have now shifted thinking into, OK, how can we rewire our processes so they are self-adapting? They are resilient to change. And you know, if things like these happen, we can still make money and we can still be efficient and you know, all of those good things.
0: You talked about some of your experiences growing up and some of your experiences of being one of the few women in a male-dominated engineering school and what have you. I'm curious about your views on how we're doing on that basis as a company, as an industry, um, because we still feel like it's too male-dominated in most aspects and most metrics you can think of, but also culturally, I think, in some ways.
1: As an industry, I think it is a lot better than it used to be 10 years ago. And as BP, I think we are actively looking to change the game. If we think about, you know, Bernard's leadership team, you know, there is diversity and inclusion there, not just in terms of males and females, in terms of cultures as well. And I think one of the reasons why I have Stuck for so long in BP is sort of this push towards diversity and inclusion and you not being at a disadvantage because you are from a certain ethnicity or you're from a certain background or you're a female or you know whatever that might be personally I haven't felt that I've had to hold back because I was a female my learning on this is people treat you as you treat yourself so if you are very serious about yourself, if you if you know you have to be confident in your conversations, if you know you have to you know demonstrate courage to challenge, um, if you know you have to demonstrate sort of the you know the, the best that you can be in terms of skill sets etc., then people will will take you that way. What advice would I give to um, to females entering in industries where diversity inclusion is probably not there? I would say don't let anything hold back on your passion. And there's a saying, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. As individuals, as humans, we are so resilient. And once we have our mind onto something, we find a way to to make that work. And that's the advice that I give to my 12-year-old niece. You know, there is, there is nothing that can hold you back. And obviously, you know, there's this backdrop on things might be difficult um, because you're a female in some cultures. Um, I think if you're passionate about it and you're confident in yourself, you will find a way to make it work.
0: So we talked about innovation and we've talked about incubating ideas and the founding of companies. What inspires you? Who inspires you when you look at companies around you, people who are coming up with ideas around you? Where do you, who do you see as being innovative and inspiring in that sense?
1: I'm a big fan of Netflix and how they've been able to bring an otherwise traditional market online, how they're able to engage with their customers. You know, and it shows up in very subtle ways, but I'm sure there's lots of sort of innovation and science that goes behind it i often start netflix not knowing what i'm going to watch but i end up having a great experience because they know the kind of stuff i've watched they they make very relevant suggestions and the user experience is just great so yeah i i look up to netflix in terms of how they think about customers how they think about innovation how they think about continuously growing
0: what are your top one or two recommendations of things you watched
1: I didn't find this through Netflix, but there's a a movie that's my all-time favorite and that's Pursuit of Happiness. I'm not sure if you've seen it, David.
0: I have, yeah, with Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, It's just sort of such a powerful story, again, around the things we have talked about, about passion, about resilience, about having confidence in yourself, um, you know, about embracing change. Um, It just brings it to life so strongly that, you know, no matter how difficult the things are, um, if you're confident in yourself, if you've got faith in yourself um, and, you know, if if you're resilient, uh, there is nothing that you cannot achieve. So definitely for those who, who haven't watched uh, Pursuit of Happiness, I would recommend you watch it. In terms of books, I've just finished reading Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Building startups and building businesses is not easy. So it gives you very practical advice and examples on when things go bad, how you should think about them and what your thought process should be. And I think this applies not just to founders and people who are working in startups. There are a lot of things that you can apply into your daily lives as line managers or as team leaders. So that's definitely something I would recommend people read if
0: they haven't. I love that book. And on top of everything else you described, it also gives you a view on his passion for hip hop and everything else that goes with that. What's curious is, um, so we, so this is the third of our podcast um two of the three have now mentioned that as being the book to read so that's interesting isn't it oh
1: wow okay
0: (laughs) so um so you're in good company as it were as well as there's something maybe for the people who are listening to this it's clearly good if if like two-thirds of our population are uh, all recommending it thanks for making the time to come and speak to us today it's a fascinating story i think um your own personal story how that translates into personal purpose that then translates into a professional purpose and an idea, your own kind of passion, resilience and belief in yourself to take the idea, follow it through, um, to drive it through to what feels like a fantastic outcome already, never mind what's yet to come, which will be even bigger and even better, I'm sure.
1: Thank you very much. And I think what I would end with is an offer. If any of the listeners want to contact me separately and need advice or Test something or just need my help or anything, I'm very happy to help.
0: Thanks to Shim. Thank you.